Big Fluff. Baby, what's the matter? Close the door. Frankie, what are you, what are you doing? I said close the door. Please, not, not here, okay? Not like this. Close. Goddamn door. Okay, okay, just, just, let's, let's, just calm down. I am conscious to what I fucking say. Isha, are you all right, sweetheart? Did he hurt you? Get out. It's okay, it's all right. His beef is with me. Beef? Beef! You have my son killed. You lie straight to my face about him. <laughs> you think I've got beef? With you. No, I didn't mean. Keisha. You think beef is an accurate description of what I've got with your father? Okay, okay. Beef. Hey everybody, I'm Joel Murphy. <laughs> And I'm Andy McIntyre. <laughs> and this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And it's Nick Cage month, week two, and we've got a score to settle. Beef! Beef! <laughs> yeah, we do. Beef! <laughs> they should have just... God, after that scene, they should have just called this movie Beef. <laughs> Yeah, I well, Molly pointed out, because I just played the clip for her. She did not see the whole movie, but she was like, that should have just been Wendy's ad campaign. <laughs> Nick Cage shouting beef. Forget Clara Peller back in the 80s. Just uh, beef. They could do oh, it man. now. Like, why not? Sure. Yeah. Why, do it. Yeah. That's a free um, one, Wendy's, if you're listening. Wendy, if you're listening. I know Dave is yeah. dead, but I assume his daughter, Wendy. But, but Wendy Thomas. Yeah, if, if you're, you're listening. listening. No, when I when uh, when I was watching this movie, um, and the first scene with Benjamin Brett and Nicolas Cage, I was like, "Oh, this is probably going to be the audio for the intro." And then the beef scene happened, and I was like, "No, it's, this is the only this is the only choice." Yeah, it's funny because I don't like to pull audio from that late in a movie normally. Just I don't know why. I mean, we do spoilers on this show, but I try to pull right. something from earlier. But no, if Nick Cage says the word beef 10 times in a weird way, obviously, that's what's going to be picked. Like, that's the cagiest, like, oh, wildest scene. No, he was he was not very cage through a lot of this movie. It was a very restrained cage. And then he went as cagey as he's been in this uh, in the movies we've watched for this podcast. Yeah. Uh, when he talked about his beef with uh, Q. Yes, with Q. Yeah, Q, one of the many uh, cues that I have about this movie is why they picked that name. Yeah, that he's a guy named San Quentin who goes by Q. Because you wouldn't call him Can San Quentin, which is already a cool name. No, San Quentin's a badass name because it's a prison and he's a criminal. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, but you want to call him Q so he sounds like he's someone who makes things for James Bond. Right. Or uh, an all-powerful, extra-dimensional being that torments Jean-Luc Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One or the other. Or something that should be with an A. Yeah. Or a line at a bank. Yeah. You think those, those are yeah, all... Maybe it was... wonder if it was spelled like... Oh, he, like... They called him Q, but it was like Q-U-E-U-E. -E -E. Oh, like the, the British Q. Yeah. Yeah. Or was it CUE? Like maybe he's really good, at, really likes pool, so they call him Q. Or he knows exactly when to say his lines. 
because he heard the previous lines. Right. He knows exactly when <laughs> he's right. He's always right when you need him. He's right on cue. Yeah. He's very punctual. Yeah. That's why they called him Q. <laughs> that's it. That's got to be it. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely it. That's um, how he became the crime boss is because he's so punctual that right when the former crime boss was out of commission, he just showed up. He was the first one in the room. Because they started calling him Mr. Right Place, Right Time. And then that was too long. So yeah. It's like, you're always right on Q. Yeah. Wait a minute. Let's call him Q. <laughs> it's like, what's your actual name? Jorge San Quentin. Forget that. <laughs> yeah, you're Q now. We're calling you Q. Yeah. And here's your buddy, Frankie Fingers. That that sounds like a warning. Yeah. <laughs> Stay away from Frankie. <laughs> Frankie Fingers. <laughs> Listen, honey, I know that you really have your heart set on going to prom with Frank, but uh, I got to warn you, sweetheart. Yeah. Frankie Fingers. <laughs> Good night, You're everybody. Just driving him into the arm of Frankie. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh yeah yeah so, so we're talking about a score to settle this is a 2017 or 2019 nick cage movie i think that's when it came out i think I it was know. 2019 that sounds right um, also weird fact uh you reminded me because i i watched this on hulu i assume that's probably how you watched it as well same it's made very clear in the movie that he went to prison for 19 years but for some reason the description on hulu says that he went to prison for 22 years and that just amused me because i figured no one cared no <laughs> like there's plenty to malign about this movie but the timeline is just doesn't make sense no, I get, and we should try to set this up because I, I mean, a big thing that I think that I should talk about of like why this movie's maligned and I think a big problem with it is just how murky this plot is. But I think if we can try to lay it out, because I think it'll help me, honestly, because I don't know if I'm clear on. I'm not going to guarantee that I'm clear on it either, but uh, either way. So Nick Cage plays Frankie, Frank Carver, a.k.a. Frankie Fingers. Mm hmm. And he is a like mid-tier mafia tough who really knows how to swing a baseball bat is what I've guaranteed is what I've or gathered from everything. And or make a baseball bat. Well, he does eventually learn how to make a good baseball bat while yeah. in prison. Yes. Um, which one of the many more interesting movies that were happening somewhere in this plot line that we didn't get to see. Is a movie where just, Nick Cage is in prison and makes baseball bats. I might I think I might have found that more fun and he just yells yeah. about beef than this movie. <laughs> they they transfer him to the kitchen and he's really upset about it. Beef <laughs> Wanna make bats <laughs> <laughs> Not beef <laughs> Anyways, um so uh while these uh toughs, one of which is Q and then the boss, uh they beat uh someone to death. Some low-level mafia person. Which is how we open. Uh, it's a scene where, yeah, this guy's being tortured. At first, the boss is, like, hitting baseballs at him. And then eventually, he just beats him to death. Just beats him to death. The baseball bat. Uh, and Nick Cage is not there for that scene. I don't no, believe. No, he shows yeah. up a little bit. He leaves and comes back to see uh, so-and-so beaten to death. Yeah, he sees the aftermath, but he's not there for the actual incident. He is there for the, the uh, hitting baseball bats. Yeah. Or baseballs at the guy. Um, and then takes the rap for the murder because he's offered a lot of money. Yes, four hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which, which actually doesn't a seem a lot of. It's a lot of money, but not an 
as much money as I wouldn't go to prison for 20 years for $450,000. No, it doesn't seem worth it. I mean, yeah, that's your because again, yes, it's like, well, you get a lot of money. However, you're, you know, although he was originally told it was only going to be six years. Right. And it wasn't six years. It was 19 years or 22 years. If you trust uh, Hulu, if you trust the Hulu description. Yeah. And so. He does it. So his wife died before he went to prison. Right. And then or shortly after. Yeah. But but then I think he the idea was that he was going to do it and this was going to like be for his son and they were supposed to look out for his son while he was in prison. And that's the big that's that's what that opening clip uh, was alludes to alludes to. Uh, but then, so we st- we see the the baseball bat scene, but then we basically jump to present day where he's getting out, and for reasons that are perfectly logical and make total sense. Okay, so yeah, so let's take a moment <laughs> to talk about this because I I texted you about this, but I did look this up. So uh, what the movie tells us is that he has a, a fatal type of insomnia, and. That they're releasing him from prison. I think they say only for a week, though, right? Or like, I I wasn't even clear. I wasn't. I was. That was a little murky. Like a lot. I think the Wikipedia synopsis says they're just letting him go because he's so sick and they don't. They sort of essentially pity parole him. Yeah. Which I don't think is a thing. Yeah. I I, I hate to bring it to anyone about uh, the way that America works, but I don't think it has a problem letting people die in prison. I don't think it does either. Uh, spoiler alert for the American <laughs> prison industrial complex. Yeah, but yeah. So but that's the thing. So they let him go because he's sick. But also, yeah, he just keeps saying that he has insomnia and he's going to die. And the movie doesn't explain it beyond that. And I had to look this up because I was like, is that real? Is that a thing? And apparently it is. It's a very rare uh, disorder that's where it's like basically over time it's it's a like brain disorder that will eventually kill you i mean you can die from sleep deprivation <laughs> but it's like but this that, specific thing it's not like this, yeah it's not just like regular insomnia and you have it a long time it's a specific condition that's called that 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 does over time kill you although like that's not what the mo- that's not how the movie implies it it's just like it's like no you just need to sleep and well, you'll be fine. Well, right. But you that's, can't sleep, so you'll die. That's exactly what I'm getting at, is that I looked it up and there is some basis for what they're saying, but the movie itself doesn't seem really interested in it. Uh, because, yeah, basically, if you have uh, that disorder, you're gonna die. Like, there isn't. It's not right. like you just need a good night's sleep. And there's also just a question of why pick this, you know? I mean, because essentially for the purposes of the film it's just he needs something some fatal disease that you know is an explanation as to he has a disease that's fatal and this and then he's going on this thing and they, they pick something really obscure that no one's familiar with and then they themselves don't do a good job understanding how it and works under explain it yeah. yeah so all that feels like a bad unnecessary choice and it also doesn't even outside of the beef scene possibly I don't think it really even takes advantage of the idea of a movie where Nicolas Cage wasn't getting sleep and seemed increasingly out of it could have been really fun, but it doesn't really do that either. No, I think um, 
This is almost four great movies, and instead is one bad movie. Yes, yeah. No, because uh, and I mean that because there's just like this takes like little snippets of a lot of good ideas from a lot of very well worn paths and movies, and then throws them in a blender, and it doesn't work. Yeah, because there's a great movie that uh, Christopher Nolan remade. I forget what where the original. I know it was another country. I think it's a Scandinavian movie. I think that sounds right. That it's Scandinavian, and then Nolan remade it, but called Insomnia. Uh, that is. Uh, about this where Al Pacino is someone who's in Alaska where it's sunny year, you know, day and night and he can't sleep and he slowly loses his grip on reality. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of movies about, I mean, Fight Club is essentially an insomnia movie where someone uh, gets a more and more tenuous grip on reality. Which is funny because the doctors in Fight Club go out of their way to tell the protagonist that uh, he just needs sleep, that he's fine. He can't die. Right. They literally say you can't die from insomnia in that movie, which is also not true, technically. No, but, but probably closer yeah. to accurate. I could see a doctor telling someone that. Right. Especially if they had more of a normal, like, psychosomatic type of insomnia as opposed to, like, a brain chemistry type yeah. issue where they're able to sleep. They're just whatever anxiety issues. Not to say that other mental health problems aren't very real and very troubling because they absolutely are. Um, but that really his own, like uh, the narrator's only cure or only remedy was actually getting a good night's sleep, which he was, he was potentially capable of. Yeah. The sleep was a symptom. That was not the core issue that he was right. dealing with. Yeah. Whereas it seems like Nick Cage's character in this Frank, uh, Frankie fingers was uh, suffering from a, Essentially a form of dementia, for lack of a better word. Yeah, which is kind of how it functions. Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's a brain disorder. Right. Um, Which they dabble in a few moments. Yeah. But yeah, so there's the movie of Nicolas Cage dealing with a brain disorder and slowly losing his grip on reality, which in the right hands could win him his second Oscar. And in different hands could be ridiculous and really fun. Right. Yeah. Or or both at the same time. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because there's like a batshit, you know, like just unhinged version of that film. <laughs> there's there's a Wally's Wonderland version. Yeah. And and there's a Leaving Las Vegas version. Yes. Yeah, there's movie. a prestige version of it. That's actually good. Yeah. We should also mention, by the way, while we're saying all of this, uh, since we will never get to talk about it in Nick Cage once, which is a true tragedy. There is a film called Pig. That if you have not seen, stop what you're doing right now and watch the movie Pig because it is a movie somewhat similar to this and in that it is about Nick Cage uh, being wronged by a group of people and uh, setting out to, uh, you know, to sort of get revenge on them. But it does not. It's not John Wick and it's not what you think it is. And I don't want to say more about it, but it goes in a very unexpected and very moving way. And it's criminally underrated and underseen and it's one of my favorite nick cage movies in recent history and it's yes. great from start to it's, finish yep go watch it yeah but so this is not that though <laughs> no no because like because that's a great movie that this movie could have been yeah just nicholas cage on a john wick walking tall whatever you want to call it revenge ride uh after getting wrong and rotting in prison for 20 years that that movie has to already exist. There's there with Nick Cage doing that. I think I'm sure that his filmography is expansive enough that such a movie exists. 
Yeah, I mean, we've only scratched the surface. He's done like over a hundred movies. I mean, we'll, yes. we, I, I hope someday we reach a point on this podcast where we've watched every obscure Nick Cage movie, but we're not there yet. And, you know, it's the, the, the vessel keeps getting refilled. <laughs> yeah, that's the other problem is he can make more than four <laughs> new movies a year, which means we'll never catch him. No. Because we're already way behind catching yeah. Nick Cage in these weirdo, bizarre, uh, straight to streaming, straight to V video, whatever movie is. Also, catching Nick Cage is not a bad pitch. <laughs> what is that movie about? I mean, obviously, the, this, the, the name's on the tin, but. It's about, you, you know, we write a character about uh, filmmakers who are utterly convinced that they've written a, a movie that Nick Cage will do. Because they assume that Nick Cage will do any movie, but they actually can't figure out how to get in contact with Nick Cage to get him to do their movie. But they've already promised that he signed. I'm going to do you one better. Okay. Uh, so the actual way that you get Nick Cage to star in a, a movie is you have to best him in a battle of wits. Yes. That's what they don't realize. They've already promised that they signed Nick Cage to the film thinking that it was in the bag because they're like, he'll just do it. But yeah, you actually have to. <laughs> that every that everybody that has gotten him to star in a movie has bested him in some mental chess match or physical challenge or something. And But you never get to that... know what it is until you arrive because you can't. Right. It's and it's random. And sometimes like they lose and then they don't get to do right. the movie. Is that, and sometimes it's as simple as rock, paper, scissors. Other times it is a another David Fincher movie, the game esque convoluted yeah. uh, thing to get him. Oh, this is a great movie we just wrote. And sometimes it's a tickle fight. <laughs> like 40% of the time it's a tickle fight. And that's what they're really hoping for. Is they like essentially As they start to find out what they might have to do to get him to start in the movie, yeah. and they just they just like they talk to like Charlie Kaufman and he's like, Yeah, I just had to win a tickle fight against Nick Cage. <laughs> But I had to do it twice because I had to get him to play two parts in the movie. Two, two parts. Yeah. I had to, or one was a tickle fight. One was some like, I was like, yeah, I had to win a Spartan race against him. And then it's like the guy who did Ghost Rider is like, uh, he we like had knives. Like it was a straight up like knife. It's like, you know that knife game from Alien? Yeah, we did that. I we lost did that. A, I lost a finger. And he just holds up his missing <laughs> finger. <clears throat> Even like... Uh, you know, like his Coppola family members that he's done roles for, they talk about the things that he's had to do. <laughs> They've had to do to get Nick Cage in the movie. They're like, how do so many people catch him? It's like, yeah, sometimes he's lazy about it. It's Francis Ford Coppola saying like, you know, I thought that Apocalypse Now would be the hardest thing I ever did, but it turned out it's actually getting Nicky to, <laughs> to do Peggy Sue got married. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that's that's catching Nick Cage. Yeah, and that's and somewhere we, we get share in it to just be like, I just asked him. <laughs> <laughs> he just couldn't say no to me. It's like, yeah, I just said, hey, do you want to do this movie? <laughs> and that was it. Yeah, but so look for that. Uh, 20 look for that coming out. It's the uh, spiritual sequel to the uh, the crippling weight of massive talent. Is that the title of that movie? Something like that. Or the un unbearable weight of massive talent. I think it's unbearable like weight. Yeah, it's yeah, but it's spiritual sequel. It's like completely unconnected. Yeah, it's not. It's he's not the same Nick Cage in that movie as he is in this movie. No, um, 
But Pedro Pascal, if you want to read for it. Uh, yeah, we will find a part. For you. If yeah. you want to play Joel, I think you'd make an excellent Joel Murphy. I think you would. Yeah. I think he could really capture me in a way that I'm like, yeah. that's what I'm like. Oh, that's who I am. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Um, but back to this turd. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, and then so he leaves. He gets released from prison. He meets up with his son uh, who has wink. lived a rough life what's that i said wink <laughs> yeah yeah his son who has had a drug problem and uh yeah rough life and he decides he's gonna make it up to him uh by with one night of wild with one weekend of wild debauchery which i'm not really sure what the plan was as far as i can tell so it involves he first he has to go dig up the money slash a baseball card <laughs> and a bat slash a baseball bat that so he's um that he that he was promised for doing the taking the fall for the murder. Yeah, and he gets all that four hundred and fifty thousand dollars and uh, buys a Corvette, gets a real fancy hotel room, gets some nice new duds and then goes uh, on to seek revenge. Well, let's not forget the part where uh, he decides to hire a sex worker. Yes. And then falls in. They fall in love with each other, kind of like immediately. But I mean, to be fair, Nick Cage, I get it. Yeah, I also, I w- I don't know if someone someone must keep count, but I feel like Nick Cage has an oddly high number of sex scenes where he is wearing a button up shirt and a woman is on top of him. Like it's happened in more than just this film because it definitely happened in um what is the one uh, Drive Angry? Is that what it was called? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Definitely yep. happens in that, and I feel like there's been other movies where he is fully clothed. At least, I think like, it for, happens in Leaving Las Vegas too. I think it with does. With a sex worker, it does. Yeah, I like. I don't know if that's in his contract, but like Nick Cage seems to like to have. Is he a never nude? <laughs> but we see him shirtless. He's been shirtless, plenty. But like, it's for like a third of Con Air. He's not wearing a shirt. I think he doesn't like to be shirtless in sex scenes. I don't know what that. Is. That's his kink. That's his thing. He likes. He he likes the idea. He likes the Im- imbalance of the woman being naked and him being be shirted. I think that's what it is. It's like a Don- it's a Donald Duck fantasy where he's shirtless, but or he's has a shirt, but he's you know that's it. He's he's a big. Yeah. He likes to poo bear it. Yeah, that's it. So um, I think we solved that. Yeah. Okay. But- so we, so t- ticks. That's an early silver lining. We figured out Nick Cage's kink. But yeah, there's so there's this whole plot where he falls in love with the sex worker, and then there's a weird like subplot where she won't. She loves him. She clearly falls for him, but she also still protective enough to not give him she tells him her real name but she does not give him any way to contact her except through her pimp who he tries to do that but then he requests her and the guy's like "Ah, i'm just gonna send it she's not here today so i'm gonna send a different lady and then that goes really bad in a way that felt like a very different movie because nick cage felt like he was behaving completely differently with the two of them than he yeah. had been with anyone else. He's he's way more discourteous with the two of them than anyone yeah. else in this film, including the people that he believes has wronged, including the people with the score that he has to settle. Yeah. Uh, and then the movie's also The Sixth Sense. Yeah, I guess. Uh, or um, uh, it's a little uh, Joker. You know, they, it's that. Uh, it's a little bit Joker. It's a yeah. little bit. Yeah, but yeah, that was my wink earlier. Is that 
he essentially so he we get this whole movie with his son and then he and his son decide to go visit the grave of his wife who died and then when he gets there we find out that also his son's grave is there and actually his son has been dead this whole time and i'm gonna be real honest that i didn't have the patience to look back to double check the date but it seemed like this the life and death day for his son seemed weirdly incongruous with the timeline of the movie i would agree with that i kind of had that too i think i was so confused and not like in a not in a sixth sense kind of way, but just in a like, what are we doing way that I was so distracted by the idea of this reveal that I was too that, distracted to really pay too much attention to the dates. Because it felt like either his son died when he was very, but the son died when the son was very young. So there's no way he would have known what the son was like as, as, as he was growing. It's just it's something was like askew with it and it didn't. It didn't seem accurate. Yeah, which I wasn't even. So I think this is. I, as you've said, like, there's so many movies this movie could have been, but I think I mean, I don't know. Would you be willing to concede that perhaps just I don't even know if it's the best one, but the movie that it most seems to want to be is a John Wick kind of movie. I mean, it's called a score to settle. So it most wants to be a John Wick and puts the least effort into being a John Wick. Right. But. I think if it wanted to be a movie that is a revenge movie, which, like I said, I definitely think that's what the title is implying. I think this is a horrible mistake to do this because I mean, and like just since I mentioned John Wick, if you use that as an example, John Wick, the whole thing is, you know, his wife dies, which he's grieving. But then she had gotten him this dog and he was just going to live a quiet life with the dog. And then Alfie Allen, as he's often wont to do is just a complete D bag who steals his, the dog, steals his car and kills his dog. And, and then the rest of the movie is like, he, I'm going to get revenge. I think a huge problem with this movie is I spent a lot of the first half of it, not really understanding why he wanted to get revenge because one, we didn't yet know that his son died, which if we had known would have made it make a lot more sense. But then in the absence of that, it was like I kept sitting there thinking, well, you're saying that you made this deal with them. Like it, it kind of came across like you agreed to take the fall for your boss, but then regretted agreeing to it. But that isn't. Like, you know, well, it's like he agreed to one thing and then. They let him rot in jail longer than they said was going to happen. And that, I think, is enough of an impetus for a revenge plot. It is, but it's it's not as clean as I think it should be if you just no, want to do a revenge that, movie. Yeah. It's already getting into like, well, I mean, he made the deal. Like, you don't want to have that kind of caveat in this type of movie. It should be more clear cut. But I think if it was, well, he made the deal, then he got stuck in jail longer. And also he asked them to take care of his son. But and then they murdered him. But yeah, they killed his son. Not only did they not watch out for his son, his son got hooked on drugs and died. And they well, he got hooked on drugs, I think was in a coma. I don't it, it was all. But they some, did murder him. They did. Murder son him, was but murdered it, him. But I think he did OD and then they murdered him because they thought that he was was going because he said a, that, like, he's like, you need to give me this money or else I'm going to tell everybody what's good, what the real deal was because he was a drug addict. So he, he was a drug addict. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so Q did have him killed. Yes. Um, but yeah, so there's that. 
but all of that to say that I think like if you just wanted to do a revenge movie, just tell us that his son is dead at the beginning. You could I, I don't think the son relationship really added much to this movie. But if you were really dead set on doing it, he could just be a ghost that's talking to him, I guess. But like, yeah, I don't think the reveal <laughs> added to the movie. And I actually think it took away from the movie. hundred percent. It did. Yeah. Where I think you should have told us earlier that his son died because I think it's a more I think that's it. It's a more sympathetic reason for him to go on on this revenge spree. And if you want to double it up with the insomnia losing his grip on reality thing is that he could be essentially hallucinating his son. Right. Yeah, that would be good. I mean, well, it would be better than it would be. It would be it would be tighter. Yes. Yeah, I think that's it is. It's just this. Yeah, it's a little sweaty. This premise. Because, like, there's a good movie of Nicolas Cage rotting too long in prison and going to get revenge on the people that put him there. Yeah. That, there, that there's a good movie to be made with that plot. Yeah. There, there's a good movie to be made with a, a plot of um, I didn't get to be the man my son needed in his life. And now that I'm out of jail, I'm going to try to make it up to him and, you know, probably fail at that because I don't know how to be a dad. There's a good like heart wrenching drama that you could make from that premise. Right. But yeah, it's also you get into a weird thing, too, of again, because he was in prison for 19 years. And as you said, the the dates of the son's life don't make a ton of sense. It's like we don't really know what like. So because in the movie, his son is telling him to to call this sex worker and his he gives the car to his son. But his son is saying that you drive it and all this stuff. And it's like, do you even really know your son well enough to imagine? <laughs> That he would enable all of your vices. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like awful convenient. That Awful convenient that your son is totally down for you to do donuts in a uh, sports car in the parking lot and have sex with a prostitute and buy a bunch of fancy food and suits. and. Which, again, I, I know this movie didn't have the budget for it, but it might have sold it better if we got the, the Fight Club-esque uh re-showing us of all the previous scenes but with just him <laughs> like and they talking, did a couple of those but not not like doing donuts and no they literally just showed him sipping coffee alone in front of the food truck in the middle of a field yeah they it seems like they didn't have the budget to which was absolutely the craft services ch- truck for the movie yeah 100 <laughs> percent. like just there's no doubt that and, and there's nothing wrong with a low-budget movie. I love a low-budget movie. Uh, well, I don't but, think the budget was the problem in this movie. No, 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 yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah, to be clear. Like, I don't want to make it seem like we're slagging on low budgets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely not. No, not at all. Yeah. It, look, they have money for that car, so they're they're doing all right. Like, yeah, that car is, is tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah, and they have Benjamin Bratt money, so. Yeah, and Bratt money don't come easy. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh yeah, this movie's just so wildly uneven. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think you nailed it that it's trying to be a lot of different movies, and I don't think it's doing any of them particularly well. And yeah, I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of the stuff. I also, I guess just the last, because I think we can probably pivot here in a minute, but it also can't decide uh, whether, like, the son really late in the game is like, again, the son who up until that point his imaginary son who has told him to do every terrible thing that he wants to do all of a sudden out of nowhere is like, I don't want you to get revenge. I want you to live your life. And that plays out with like, not, I guess not killing the main boss, but also the main boss's 
pretty much like dead. He's in a coma. Yeah, he's in a coma. He's not responsive. And he just goes to see him and leaves uh, the, the bloody bat with him. And then he doesn't kill Benjamin Bratt, but he does shoot him in the leg. And then there's also that other guy that we haven't talked about. The dragon. Who's just a cartoon villain in a different movie than everyone else. Yes. Who seems like the type of guy that would be in a John Wick type movie. Yes. Who's also just in broad daylight firing indiscriminately into a retirement home. Yeah, right in front of a nursing home. Yeah. And like, just at the end when essentially Nick Cage absolutely no-sells getting shot in the gut by the dragon. Yeah. And then completely shrugs off getting shot in the shoulder blade in the back. I do love the look that he gave her. (sighs) Yeah. Uh, Before going out and then getting uh, murdered by the police. Yeah. Yeah, just like. Also, that baseball card's ruined. I mean, all that that talk of how pristine that card was and. Yeah. There went the resale value. You couldn't even argue that it's near mint at this point. No. (laughs) Um, I will say, like, one of the weirdest, weirder moments of, like, show don't tell in this whole movie is that. Like, he's walking out of the church, and you're like, wait, wasn't that church full of people? I feel like this movie would make the mistake and have just had them sitting there during the beef argument. <laughs> but, like, no, of course they all fled and called the police. That right. makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, that one is pretty good. Yeah, because we do see some of them, like, running. That's what... We see the, the bridesmaids, like, running out terrified. Yeah, as, so... As, as Ben Bratt makes his way to the... Uh, I love vestibule. <laughs> that is kind of as as you know. Again, I do think it is showed on tell, but then it's kind of funny that he sees them running and then gets to that door that's closed and is like, "Honey, are you okay? What? What? Go in, like bust in, buddy. Like something's wrong. Yeah, like clearly, if all of her bridesmaids have run from that room screaming, you you barge in. Yeah, that's a, that's an, that's the time it's okay to barge in. Yeah, like. Uh, we just weird <laughs> but i think but yeah let's let's pivot we're ready to pivot to the silver linings uh well i so simone was the name of the character that was the sex worker i really liked the actress uh yeah carolina uh, uh, vidra v, v, yes it's yeah i'm sure carolina I vidra yeah carolina vidra carolina vidra yeah we'll go with that yeah but yeah, she was that's... really good yeah, no, she was she was really good. Uh, more subtle than the movie probably deserved, considering the rest of the performances outside of no one. She was in the Prestige movie with Nick Cage. Yes. The Prestige love story. I also did... I liked the scene where he gave her the money, too. Like, yes. Like, I thought that was nice. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, a little creepy that she's like with her kid. <laughs> he ambushes them, yeah. but but ultimately nice. Yeah, I, I, I there was there was a sweetness there. Um, when it, like it didn't feel tropey, the whole like falling in love with a sex worker thing that is a trope. Yeah, didn't it was feel as tropey as it could have. It, as it a, a little, lot of other stuff in this movie did. Yeah, it was a bit clunky at times. Yes, but I think the two of them had. And a honest chemistry and like sold it enough to distract you from the <laughs> like the how is this happening? Like, how is this working? 
but uh but it, it i i enjoyed it I, I enjoyed her stuff quite a bit like and she was good and yeah i kind of liked the it's not their meat cute but like when he sees her with another john yeah and he's like nah she's not a sex worker talking to his son that doesn't exist yeah um and then he's like no i think she is and then sure enough they were right <laughs> which yeah i mean i don't <laughs> I can't. I did you? I mean, I assumed the sun was in his head, but I, you said six cents. You don't actually think we're supposed to like think that the sun is the ghost of his son, right? Or I don't know. I, well, that's I don't what I was know what the of. movie I want wants us to think. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, does it think that he's real? Like, is he? Because he does. Because it was when you said that that I was like, well, wait, yeah, he does believe things that are different from what his dad believes, and also. You know what's really funny to think about is because there's a scene which I guess is like uh, I know we pivoted, but like it's setting us up for the Sixth Sense thing with the bellhop where he's like, I'm trying to call my son and I can't find his number, and there's like no record. But also, you only got the iPhone because your son <laughs> told you to. Which yeah, there's and there's a lot of weird inconsistencies with that. Well, and did he buy two iPhones? He bought two watches. We we saw him buy two watches, but yeah. did he buy and two, two iPhones and a two seater car? Well, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, did he buy two iPhones? Like one for his his dead son? I don't know. And like, who was he FaceTiming? But I guess he wasn't FaceTiming anyone. He was imagining FaceTime, which he wouldn't know about because he was in prison. Which is again gets yeah. I don't know. I don't know either. And then because then like his son shows up in the very last shot to like be his guardian angel taking him across the rainbow bridge. Well, that was definitely. Yeah, that was just doing the end of Ghosts where like his son had like a halo around him and the way he was shot. He was shot like in the sun where in a way that he was backlit to make him look angelic. Yeah, and in just a wonderful bit of subtlety, like his son's wearing a white hoodie the whole movie, almost like a shroud. Yeah. Genius. That's good. Um. Anyways, I like Ben Bratt. I thought he was good. Oh, always happy to see Ben Bratt. Uh, I thought like he's Benjamin Bratt, I think is a really good actor just anyways, but is really good about playing like seems sleazy, but you think he's nice, but then actually turns out to be sleazy. Yeah, no, because he yeah, he never he plays this part so subtly that even at the end, even at the reveal, there isn't some kind of change. Mwahaha, this is my plan all along. Yeah, he's still like acting that. the same, which is, is acting sincere, even though he's being insincere and like being just vaguely a dirtbag. Right. Like, it, but I feel like that, like that is a character that Benjamin Bratt nails a lot. Yeah. No, he's really good at it. And um, yeah, va super value added because the movie really needed him because. In the absence of him, everyone else is just... I mean, I liked the meat guy, but uh, everyone else is kind of forgettable. Beef? Yeah, the beef guy. The But yeah, the, the guy at the, the butcher. The yeah. butcher uh, who's Ian like, Tracy as Tank. Who's like, I want to die. I don't think he wants yeah. to die, but he's like, I've been expecting to die. It's like this. I, I knew this was coming. I make my beef and I wait for someone to murder me. Beef! <laughs> uh, but yeah, I enjoyed him. I obviously loved Nick Cage shouting beef over and over again. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, it was great. It's a weird thing in this movie because the first scene that they have at Q's bar 
is just really subtle, small screen act like this type of small acting that you do for screen. Right. And it's really good. It's like a really solid scene. Well, and at that point, to your point about Benjamin Bratt, like I could have seen it going either way. I could have seen him being the Ian McShane to his John Wick. You know, like yes. he could have been setting up as the friend who's going to have his back. Right. And that, and that I would have believed that. And it it also felt like, oh, yeah, of course, he was the bad guy all along. Right. And I think that's the type that's that is, I think, one of uh, Benjamin Bratt's superpowers as an actor is to do that. Yeah, that he in that first scene, honestly, could that character felt like it could go either way. And I wasn't sold on either version at that point. And, and Nick Cage is just making a lot of small, subtle moves like, you know, the way he orders the whiskey, the way he, you know, asks to go to the bathroom. Like, it's just like these really small kind of intimate moments that like you for because Nick Cage is so well known for beef and that type of move that you forget that he can all he's also a really great subtle actor at times. Well, I think we've talked about that before that. Yeah, I think that's what people miss about Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage is a really good actor who does a lot of, uh, you know, lower budget, ridiculous movies, but he always seems to give the performance needed for the movie. Yes. So he, he and again, if you watch something like Pig, he is still perfectly capable today of doing a subtle, grounded, brilliant performance in something, but he's also perfectly willing to shout the word beef over and over again. Yeah, that that's that is I mean, we've said I think we've said it every Nick Cage episode we've done is that he gives the exact performance that the movie requires of him. Yep. Or the exact performance that he thinks the movie requires of him. Yeah, sometimes his instincts seem a little off, but he's always committing to a very specific style of he's performance. He's making a choice and sticking with it is is for sure. That's one if there's nothing else you can count on from Nick Cage is that he is going to he's going to commit to the choice he makes. Yeah, he's going to lock himself in a metaphorical cage of a choice and yeah, and that's that's and th that's it. That's the end. Yeah. There's no no escape from that cage. Nope. Um, this movie is definitely a narrative mess. Yes, which I think goes to Sean Koo as the writer as well as the director. But like, there's some good camera work and some good shots in this movie. That like, there's some interesting things to look at. Like, I don't think that, um. I don't think that Sean Koo has a bad eye for what makes interesting cinematic shots. Yeah. And I think the action stuff is good. Like all the yeah. the gun stuff is well done, you know, again, on the budget that it's on. But I, you know, like when he shoots Benjamin Brad on the leg, it looks good. Like, you know, all the, yeah. the and they managed to have a pretty decent shootout with him. And I only say I say pretty decent in terms of like, I'm sure the budget for <laughs> this, like the entire movie's budget is probably less than the budget for one of those action scenes in a John Wick movie. <laughs> uh, but I thought that they made it look good when they're firing back and forth at each other. I love that he shot the guy in the foot, too. Yeah, that, that was that was move. a nice uh, that was a nice move. Well, and the fact that like a lot of the gunshots, like you don't realize it, but they're just heard. They're never actually seen. Yes, I yeah. The movie was shot well. I again, I think that if it had just said picked a lane, well, if it was just if like, it put itself in a cage, yeah, if it locked itself in a cage of being a John Wick type of movie, I think it would have worked. Yeah, I think that probably is the best version of this movie if it's just the revenge story. And honestly, I think if it's just a revenge story, we see him get out of prison. He immediately goes to Q's bar. 
and Q is like, he's like, Q, I need, I need weapons. I'm getting revenge. And Q is like initially like, yeah, what do you need? Anything you need. And then he like goes behind the bar to a secret speakeasy door full of weapons. And we have the like, cause we didn't really even get that though. Like weapons montage of like, he's getting all the stuff he needs. And then he's going out and getting everyone. He gets all the way to the end to the boss, finds out the boss is uh, in a coma and then, holy shit, it's actually Q. And then he has to go back and fight him. That movie's great. I would like that. That's movie. a solid. That's a solid revenge thriller. Yeah, like it works. It's, you know, sometimes I think people overthink stuff sometimes. Like sometimes like John Wick wasn't reinventing the wheel. Like, no, <laughs> like John Wick was like, here's a wheel. <laughs> Yes. Like we, you know that thing you love that rolls real good? Yeah. Here. We Googled the word wheel and the first image that showed up, we did that. Yeah, we just made that. And <laughs> look at how smooth I'm it rolls. I'm going to go on a limb and say it works. <laughs> look at how smooth it rolls. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, an, uh, I think people underestimate the value of doing something simple well. Yeah. Yes. Well, especially uh, they, if you're making a lower budget movie, you, you can't do a lot. Like, I think that they think, well, we got to do something really crazy with the story to make up for the lack of like a big budget. And it's like, you really don't. Because even like if you think about. Like Kevin Smith, when he made Clerks, it's like, I'm just going to do a day in the life of a convenience store worker. And yeah. I'm going to keep it simple. It's going to be the craziest day in their life. But. You know, a lot of the interesting stuff's going to happen off camera. It's going to be a lot of like just referential stuff, but it's going to be the simple, straightforward narrative. Or, you know, like McTiernan making Die Hard. I'm just going to do a straight ahead action movie. Right. I'm just going to keep it real simple. You're going to know who the good guys are. You're going to know who the bad guys are. Um, even like Clint Eastwood making Unforgiven. It's like, I'm just going to make a classic Western. Yeah. And that's all I'm going to do. I'm not going to do any. I'm not going to play around with tropes or play around with ideas. I'm just going to make a straight ahead Western and I'm going to do it essentially by the numbers. And in so doing made one of the best Westerns ever. Yeah. Well, it's like uh, I've heard Tom Colicchio talk about how to cook a steak and he's like, you put salt and pepper on it. You buy a good steak, you put salt and pepper on it and you put it on the grill. <laughs> like that's how you make a good steak. <laughs> like yeah. you, you might make marinades and do all this other stuff, but you really don't need to do it. You know, just. You know, yeah. sometimes just the most straightforward, best. Ver you got Nick Cage and that's already such an Enough. asset. Yeah, that get Nick Cage and unleash him on a bunch of people who deserve to, like, like you know, face his wrath. If the movie was just called Nick Cage in a revenge thriller, th uh, revenge thriller. Yeah. And you just see Nick Cage in a revenge thriller. No one would have complained. Yeah. Call it uncaged. But Sure. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Like, there, the, and if this movie had kept it simple and not tried to make Ghost and The Sixth Sense and Leaving Las Vegas and John Wick and, 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 it would have been, we would probably wouldn't be talking about it on this podcast. Probably not. We'd be rewatching it over and over again on our free time. Right. <laughs> it would be it would be it'd be in the rotation. Yeah. Like it would be in the regular. Uh, I need I need some background noise. Click. Yep. Putting on uncaged. <laughs> um, I mean, we kind of got away from it and made a broader point and we could probably wrap up pretty soon. But I want to give it that. I, I liked the bellhop. 
Yeah. Like, I thought all of that business was really delightful. I enjoyed him showing him how to use the phone. I liked the, hey, if you know how to use a phone, can you look up uh, retirement homes for me? And him be like, ah, I don't know. And he's like, I'll give you 500 bucks. And then he's just there making the list while all of the chaos with the pimp is unfolding. But yes, like I, I really did delightful. enjoy that. Yeah, that was a good game that was happening. Yeah, like there, there's. And it looked cool, too. Yeah. No, this movie, like. You know, I think I think if I had a time machine, the one thing I would do is go back to Sean Koo shooting this movie and tell him just simplify. I think if I could be a ghost appearing to him, I would say uh, the opposite of what the son said, which I would be like, focus on the revenge. Don't live his life. <laughs> just do the revenge. <laughs> Yeah, and I, I think that would be the better movie, and I think that we would be happy, happier for it. But, uh, man, I love Nick Cage month. I do, too. You know what? That's the thing, is I want to be happy and positive, and the last thing I want to do is be angry at this movie and have some kind of beef. Silver Linings Playback is a production of Hobotrashcan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. Hi, everyone. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Stephanie Smarr. And this is Stephanie Knows Some Shit, where every week we are going to tap into Stephanie's brain and share with you some of the insight that she has about cooking, shopping, Top Chef, all of the things that you want to know. Yeah, we're going to tell some stories, enjoy some time together, and really dive into the things that you might be afraid to Google. We might have the answer. I actually, I'm pretty confident we do. 